you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here for Move the Sticks. Uh, Buck, it was great to be back with you the other day. A little two for uh, podcast schedule this week. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I uh, can't complain. It, you're right. It's, it's good to be back in the saddle again, uh, talking ball and those things. And hopefully we're getting uh, closer to the NFL going to training camp and beginning to have a little football. Yeah, I, I hope so, man. Fingers are crossed uh, at all levels, um, high school level, the college level, and the professional level. My son, is uh, they've actually started doing some conditioning stuff. So they started this week, which they are very uh, detailed in terms of they have kind of their groups of five guys. Everybody brings your own water bottle, uh, you know, your own bag with uh, the stuff that you need. And then they kind of put them out in uh, on the field, and they're just doing like stations, you know. So yeah. it's just and no ball, right? No football. Yeah, they're not lifting weights, so they're not touching weights. But man, it's a, it's a grind of conditioning of you know up downs and change of direction and box drills and you know all, all that stuff uh, they're doing on the field. But I, I'll be honest with you. 
he's like, man, this is a lot of work. But I'm like, man, I'm just glad you're doing something. You know, like it's been so long just to be able to get out there and do something. We'll take it. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's funny because um, at the school where I coach at, we have been forced to kind of do everything via Zoom. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we're nine weeks into a workout plan that we've done on Zoom, just body weight stuff, like body weight squats, uh, vertical jumps, uh, push-ups, all kinds of ab stuff, whatever. And then we ask the guys to kind of do the running on their own. We give them a running plan. Uh, so we do that three days a week. The other three days, um, they're running on their own, and then they get one day off. And so we'll see. But like what you described in terms of your son, it kind of reminds me of how we were introduced to the game in Little League. Like <laughs> In Little League, you just did county fair and like those stations that you talk about, I just remember my coaches talking about, hey, get your ticket. We're going to the fair. Yeah. What fair? What are you talking about? I don't see any Ferris wheels. No. Oh, this station, we got up downs. This yeah. next station, get your ticket. We're running over the bags. Oh, this is a sprint station. So I think we're having to do some of that because um, you just challenge because I don't know how you can lift weights unless you're one of those schools or places that, where you have an outdoor weight room, mm-hmm. you know, where you have the ability to put your weights outside. The prison yard weight air. room. Yeah, like, it, you know, it's just one of those things where you kind of have to do it. So everyone is kind of improvising. And so we'll see because it seems like things are uh, a little further along down in San Diego. Yeah. In L.A. County, um, it's not everything has kind of been halted in terms of workouts or whatever. So we'll just kind of see what this looks like because I don't know if anyone knows how this is going to play out. Yeah, I mean, look, and and we're just uh, spitballing here, but doesn't it feel like high school football in California? I mean, spring is probably our best bet. Don't you think? It, it kind of seems like it kind of seems like that. Like when you start factoring in the public schools, yeah. it just seems like a January start, like somewhere in the spring, is kind of is going to be where your football starts. But I think it brings up an interesting thing because you know, like I know, the hotbed of Southern California football. Oh yeah. Um, there are a lot of four and five star players mm-hmm. that will have to make a decision because they were planning to be early enrollees. Yeah. So what does that mean? Do they just opt out of their final season of high school, go right to college? I hope they not, not, man. I mean, like, but you want it because you have some of these guys who had kind of set up everything to be able to graduate in December yeah. so they could go join their colleges. And I, I just wonder can, can how we, Can we rail on that for a minute, though, Buck? And you're a high school coach, so you have a unique perspective here. But that to me, and David Shaw is great to talk about this. He doesn't allow guys to come early. He, he Look, you're a high schooler for once in your life. Go to prom, get a graduation. Like, don't miss out on those experiences. Everybody's in a hurry to kind of get to the next thing. And I think I agree with him on that. And if kids are going to miss their senior year of high school football, I mean, I, I, I still have tons of memories from my senior year of high school football. You know, friends that you keep up with to this day, those, those moments you share together. Kids, it's the last time you're going to get the chance to play with kids that you went to kindergarten with. You know, you kind of all grew up together. Mm-hmm. But even that's getting lost in this whole transfer culture we're positioning yourself to get to this school so you can get seen by this coach. And it's so driven by, you know, getting to college. And I used to say, okay, I understand it for the kid that maybe doesn't have any offers. Maybe you're at a smaller school, you have no offers, and you feel like you just, you know, hey, I can't afford college. I need to go someplace where I can get seen, where I can potentially get one. That's not what any of this is. All these kids are four- and five-star recruits, and they're still maneuvering around to different programs. Like, explain, please explain that to me. I can't explain it, DJ. I can't explain it. Like, um, like uh, I'm at a public school now, and I kind of understand the challenges of the landscape where, look, man, we can't offer what some of the private schools can offer. Like, we can't give you um, 
some of the top-notch facilities, we can't necessarily guarantee you that you're going to play against and with some of the best competition or whatever. What we can provide you is with an experience. However, there are people who are treating the high school game like it's business. It is yeah, the launch pad. Yeah, it's the launch pad to my NFL career before I get to college. So I need to go to a big-time high school. I need to be seen. I need to be around a bunch of four- and five-star players. And then I'm going to go to a college. I'm going to go early. I'm a plan to be there three and a half years, and then I'm moving on to the National Football League. And for like a small, very small minority of players, that could be a, a proper blueprint. Mm-hmm. But the overwhelming majority of guys aren't going to play in the National Football League. Most of them won't get an opportunity to play major college football. And so the high school experience should be what that is. And like a real pure and fun experience where, look, you develop those, those traits and characteristics that help you beyond the game. You know, to help you become mm-hmm. a good person in the community, it helps you become a good person at home, helps you become a leader uh, in your house and out in the community. And if you are fortunate enough to go to college and do all those other things, look, man, it's another uh, opportunity to have four or five years of life lessons that help shape you as a young person. But, you know, everything is fast forward. And I, I feel bad because we've talked about the specialization and all those yeah. other things. I just feel bad for the kids that don't have the opportunity to kind of dip their toe in a bunch of different waters like oh football season basketball season baseball or track uh hey let me try and do all these things because when you get to college you don't get a chance to do all of that like it is a very singular and narrow focus when it comes to it so it's unfortunate but like man i it's hard for me to say that a is going to ever go back to how it was yesteryear you played at the ultimate level book you played national football league now i played in college but i can just compare the college experience to the high school experience you can have the the history uh, to be able to compare all three but i i've you know i've played in big college games i've played in eighty thousand people and all that kind of stuff i've never had more fun than with my friends that i grew up with that i've known literally since i could pee you know learn how to pee in a toilet um those have been my friends for 12 years yeah. like we grew up together and when we would play our rival school like we went to christian high school we played marion catholic that's our rival and to play in those games with your friends against guys you've been playing against since you know middle school like those are memories that these guys are all just foregoing all that stuff and i don't even think it's necessary man like you already got it you've already got your scholarship offers you already know you're going to go on and play in college it's going to be an adjustment you'll make the adjustment if you have to redshirt it's not the end of the world but they're missing out on so many of these good memories and experiences i did, i don't know i don't like it man no it's a different time dj i can i can tell you this and it's funny um just a, a peek into how I, I, I used to think at high school. I went to Millbrook High School in Raleigh, North Carolina. And the big deal for me was just to see my name in the paper, right? Mm-hmm. Like you had to, uh, I remember in basketball, you had to score 10 points to get your full name in the box score. <laughs> if you didn't score 10 points, you would only get like your last name. So yeah. I remember in basketball, that being big. I remember in football, like obviously you wanted to get a picture in the paper. You want to score touchdowns. You want to kind of get a headline and those things. And I remember the big goal because I used to write all my goals down on like this little folder that I would get from uh, this wide receiver camp. And one of my goals was like, hey, I want to be in the News and Observer uh, all region team, all yeah, East. Yeah, like that's, yeah. that was the big deal. You didn't think about all American. I mean, maybe you thought about all state, but the big thing was I wanted to be all conference. And if I could be all region, that was like a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so to come from that to now the internet has opened up the world and everyone wants to be like a, uh, army all American. Uh, you want to play in the under armor game or you want to do all these other things or whatever. And I get it. Like you should have lofty dreams and ambitions, but I think we lose 
out on some of the essence of what high school football is. High school football is an opportunity to, as you say, play with your buddies, represent your neighborhood, um, make lasting memories with the rival game. At Millbrook, our rival was uh, Garner High School. Anthony Barber was a big-time player there. They won the state title. And I remember those games. I vividly remember those games. And I still say this. There's nothing like Friday Night Lights. Nope. There's nothing like uh, going to school with your jersey on that day, having a pregame meal, walking out in pregame stretch, like all of those other things. And then playing the game Friday night. And then if it was homecoming or whatever, the dance afterwards, mm-hmm. man, there's nothing that can can top those things. And like, look, I'm, I'm friends with a bunch of my guys from high school on Facebook and those things. And you see them and some of their kids now go to the high school and they still yeah. have the same traditions. And so it's tough because we kind of lost some of that, that sense, some of that sense of community in high school. Yeah. Anyways, I just, we weren't even planning on talking about that. I just, I was thinking about my son working out and then this whole, the whole culture of everything. I, I'm okay. If they want to do the game, if they want to do high school football in the spring, I mean, they could do it in March, April, May. I mean, at the very, push it all the way back. Obviously you'd have issues with baseball and, you know, have all those sports kind of going on at once and, you know, you wouldn't be able to play all those different sports. But if that gets, you know, if that gets cheerleaders and fans in the stands and, and it makes it like a, a real high school, you know, experience, I, uh, fine by me, man. I'm good with that. Yeah, I am. I'm good with it, too. Like, I, I just want the young people to be able to have like that stuff because I feel uh, crushed for all the guys who didn't have an opportunity to finish their baseball, their spring seasons, you know, mm-hmm. didn't have a prom, didn't have a, a, a real graduation. Everything was virtual. Um, I would like them to have that experience for the overwhelming majority of them. That's the last time they're going to play competitive sports um, and be around people. Yeah. Uh, to be kind of the center of attention and those things before they go about living a civilian lifestyle. So I would, I would just like them to have the opportunity, even if it's an abbreviated season, I just want them to have an opportunity to kind of enjoy it for one last time. Yeah, no doubt. I'm, I'm with you. Um, all right, well, this is what we're doing today, and I'll give you kind of the origin of, of why we arrived at this topic. I was, um, I was doing a radio interview the other day, and <laughs> I got asked about, I was in Utah, and uh, they asked me about, you know, what I think about where their guys landed. I know, you know, Utah had a ton of guys drafted in this last year. You know, what do you think about the fits? And I started thinking about, I'm racking my brain. I'm going, okay, man, the draft is in April. That's been a minute. I've started watching guys for this next year's draft class. And then I could not remember in my mind, like, who went where in the draft? And so I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, we've had no OTAs. We've had no rookie camp. Like, out of all this offseason, out of the spring, we would always hear about this guy was popping or mm-hmm. this guy looks like he could start. Man, he's going to nudge out this veteran. He's, you know, maybe this guy struggled a little bit. Uh, you remember, like, Lamar Jackson? They were saying, oh, he couldn't, you know, couldn't throw a yeah. spiral and was struggling early. There's all these storylines that every year emerge out of the spring. We don't have any of those this year. So these, these rookies have kind of been out of sight, out of mind. And I was thinking almost like if you were taking a course – um, and you'd say, okay, this, this is going to be a review week. Like we're just going to go back and review and go over what we did earlier in the semester. I thought it'd be kind of fun just to kind of review the first round of the draft and, and try and remind ourselves where all these guys went. Yeah, no, I think it's a good idea because I, I, I think we have kind of lost sight of where guys going because you and I've already talked about next year's class and yep. the, the group of guys that are, be, that are, um, 
potentially coming into the league in the 2021 draft. And so we have kind of forgotten about the 2020 uh, draft class, where these guys are going, what to expect of them, even in the pandemic and the, the I mean, I guess the non-existent offseason when it comes to their on-the-field work. Yeah, so I think it is a good time to kind of take a look at some of the guys that were drafted in the first round and just kind of talk about what we liked about them when they were coming out and how we see them fitting. Yeah, let's roll through it here, man. We'll just kind of go. We don't need to spend a lot of time on each one, but just kind of, again, just a reminder of where all these guys went uh, and what to expect from them. So we start there at the top. Uh, Joe Burrow to Cincinnati Bengals, Buck. Um, with no offseason, I, I still think he's the week one starter. Do you? Yeah, no, I think he's the week one starter. And I, I actually think he is going to be set up to have success. When you look at the Cincinnati Bengals, I, I know people like to kind of um, – really dump on them and, and talk about how they don't have much going on. But when I look at this offense, I think Joe Burrow should be successful from day one. Yeah. Joe Mixon is a guy that had over a thousand yards rushing one of the top running backs in the league. If AJ Green is healthy, you now have a tandem with him and Tyler Boyd that can create problems. The offensive line is a bit of a question mark, but they get Jonah Williams back. If Jonah Williams plays at a high level, like that, that gives them a, a decent offensive line. And if Zach Taylor is really committed to doing what he said he wanted to do with Joe Burrow, which is meet him halfway, kind of mm-hmm. take some of those concepts from LSU and let him kind of spread it out and play the game that he's always played as a pass first point guard, there's no reason why Joe Burrow can't hit the ground running as a rookie starter. Yeah, spread and shred, right? That's what you said a while ago. Yeah. I've, I've adopted it. I, I think that's what you'll see there. Get him comfortable, get everybody out in the route and, and go. Um, all right, Washington Redskins, Chase Young. Uh, they got the in our you know I think we both had him as the top player in the draft. When you look at that defensive front, we've talked a lot about the five first rounders, the similarity there with the uh, the Forty ers When you look at their defensive line, is it would you say it's the best defensive line in the division? Uh, when you look at that group, I mean I, I I think they're right there with Philadelphia. I think yeah. Philadelphia has more experience with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham and those guys bringing but, over Javon uh, Hargrave too. Javon Hargrave like there, but look they're they're pushing in terms of just raw talent. They have a ton of talent. Five first-rounders amongst that defensive line rotation. Uh, they have Montez Sweat, uh, Deron Payne. You think about Jonathan Allen and Ryan Kerrigan. But Chase Young is, is the, the final piece. He's kind of like the cherry on top of the Sunday. Uh, when you hear Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio made the comparisons to Julius Peppers and Von Miller, well, when you look at the impact that those guys had, uh, a couple years after those guys joined the squad, they went to the Super Bowl. Now, the Washington Redskins have a lot of stuff to do to make that dream become a reality. But Chase Young is a dominant player. And you put him on that line where he may get more one-on-ones, there's no reason why he shouldn't have double-digit sacks really, really early in his career. Yeah, I think I would still probably lean towards Philadelphia, like you said, the experience there. But that's that defensive front is going to have to carry the, the Washington Redskins. Uh, all right, the Detroit Lions took Akuda. Remember the debate at the draft was – Akuda versus Derek Brown. There was a lot of buzz mm-hmm. that maybe they would take Derek Brown. They end up going Akuda, uh, and I remember at the time we we discussed the the kind of philosophical uh, side of things with Patricia coming under Belichick, which is he builds actually uh, you know outside in versus inside out, and, and working on the secondary and putting your resources there versus the front. Yeah, no. When you look at it, and obviously, look, it's not a coincidence that. Matt Patricia was in New England for a long time. He has left, but he has seen Stephon Gilmore emerge and evolve into the defensive player of the year. He has seen how with Stephon Gilmore, they've been able to kind of lock him up on a person and maybe double team on the other side or just play man-to-man all over the field. The Detroit Lions are a team 
that lives in man-to-man coverage. Jeffrey Okuda is a guy that can play man as well as anybody, but he can do it in a variety of different ways. Uh, the thing about it with Okuda, I think uh, the, the comparison to Gilmore is apt because I don't know if Stefan Gilmore is what I call an A-plus athlete, meaning he's going to check off all of these high-level boxes as an elite athlete when it comes to speed, explosiveness, uh, leaping ability, and I don't think Jeffrey Okuda is that. But what both guys are, they are very detailed and thorough technicians. When you watch mm-hmm. them, it is like and watching tough. clinic clinic tape. They're tough. They're tackled. They do those things. That is always going to give Okuda a chance to be a high level player. Um, I liked him a lot. You know, it's it's tough because I don't know if they have enough pass rush for him to hold up on that island all by himself in that division. But I think they got a good one. We'll just see how Matt Patricia is able to kind of integrate him into the lineup and, and kind of put him in a position to succeed. All right, Andrew Thomas to the New York Giants. Um, I did not have him as the top tackle, uh, but he's the one who had the most experience, you know, playing at a solid level in the SEC for three years. Um, I think he's kind of a steady Eddie. I didn't think he's, a, you know, I, I don't view him as a big time, you know, he's going to emerge as a top five talent in the NFL. Maybe he will. Uh, but I didn't have him there. But I thought from a floor standpoint, a very high floor kind of fit the Dave Gettleman uh, profile there with the Giants. Yeah, absolutely. Look, he, he's kind of a brand name, right? He's a brand name because he played at a big school in the SEC, had very, very solid tape. Like, wasn't necessarily like outstanding, but it was solid. You know exactly what you're getting. And I think for the Giants and Dave Gettleman and where they are in their uh, rebuilding process, they just want to make sure that, as we've talked about it, like, look, man, if you can get on base, if you can hit doubles, you can win a lot of games. And so I think right now they were playing for the double. They could have swung for defenses and maybe taken a, a better and more explosive athlete in a Makai Becton mm-hmm. or even looked at Jedrick Wills. But for them, I think they wanted safe. They opted for safe and taking Thomas, and that's why he goes in the top five, even though many, many of us didn't expect him to be a top five pick. Well, interesting thing, I, I never even thought about this until right now. When you look at last year when they took DeAndre Baker – out of Georgia and DeAndre Baker struggled and then DeAndre Baker the immaturity issues that you heard about that kind of cropped up a little bit here in the offseason I wonder what what kind of relationship Andrew Thomas has with him going back to their days at Georgia and if maybe he could be a a good influence on him because by all accounts Andrew Thomas the character and everything was was solid yeah, no, his character is outstanding. He's solid. I mean, you're talking about someone, they talk about playing in the band and having a love of musical instruments and all that other stuff, a very mature uh, kid. I, I think the thing with DeAndre Baker, and you wonder because, like, it kind of goes against it because I didn't view DeAndre Baker as a safe pick mm-hmm. a season ago. Like, I, yeah. I was slow to warm up to him if I ever warmed up to him as a player. Um, I think that also played a part in the process. Like, they kind of maybe swung for the fences a little bit with DeAndre Baker thinking that he would be something that Was their third first-rounder. Yeah, Yeah. so they they took a bit of a chance. I think in the top five, they wanted to make sure that they got it right, that they didn't mess up, and I think that's why David Gettleman kind of leaned towards Andrew Thomas in this process. All right, we get to to five and six. We get to quarterbacks. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa to the Dolphins. The Chargers follow that up with Justin Herbert. Uh, look, man, the Tua pick is, is interesting because of everything that we heard about with the injury history, right? Um, is he healthy? Can he do it? He had the kind of workout, the simulated workout where we saw him move around a little bit. We saw him throw the ball. And I think people fall in love with I think the Dolphins fell in love with the personality. I, I, I still believe this. When he's healthy and right, to me, he's a left-handed version of Drew Brees in terms of the way the ball comes out, the way he's able to kind of play the game in a connect-the-dots fashion. I think the bigger thing will be, 
can he be can he become a durable player, a player that can line up each and every week, play 16 games? You were down there with the Chargers, man. Phillip mm-hmm. Rivers, 200 plus starts. Um, Eli Manning being able to suit up 200 plus times, like the A level quarterbacks show up each and every week. They 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 take the ball, and so can two would be a guy that shows that he can be a a durable, dependable, and high-level player for the Miami Dolphins, that is the biggest question mark that we'll we'll have for him. Because I think the talent is there. It's just a durability. Yeah, and I get to Justin Herbert here with with the Chargers. I would anticipate we're going to see Tyrod Taylor unless Justin Herbert just blows everybody away in camp, which it's going to be challenging with the limited offseason. I I think they have an acceptable option there with Taylor. So uh, I anticipate Herbert, we we see him maybe in the back half of the season. Um, But I do think it's a good fit with this scheme. It's going to be a different-looking offense for the Chargers. It's It's going to resemble a lot more of that Shanahan scheme. Uh, that Anthony Lynn played in. Uh, Shane Steichen will be calling the plays, but you'll see a lot more quarterback movement. And I do think, um, you know, if Justin Herbert could kind of cherry pick a place to go, I think this will be someplace he can be comfortable uh, and have a chance to, to succeed. But I do think you got to be a little patient there. Yeah, I think you have to be patient, but I also think this system, if done correctly, if done in the way that Shanahan and even Sean McVay have been able to do it, Uh, It elevates the play of the quarterback. And so for Justin Herbert, I think this is the perfect marriage because I think they will create an offense that has a lot of play action passes, uh, some movement based passes that put him on the move. He was kind of underutilizing that aspect at Oregon. I think he can be what we call a highly efficient game manager. I don't know if he'll be the takeover type, meaning like a Pat Mahomes type, but I do believe he can do what the guy that played against uh, Pat Mahomes did, Jimmy Garoppolo. High level, high high level of efficiency in terms of getting the ball to the playmakers, and being able to win a ton of games. Justin Herbert, to me, has that kind of ceiling. He's not what I would call maybe like a, a five star player, but I certainly think he's a four star player that can certainly get them to the winner circle. Yeah, since we have baseball on the brain with baseball coming back here, I, I kind of think the Chargers' offense is going to be more of a or you know their their winning formula is going to be more of a we're not going to make errors, we're going to throw strikes. We're going to take bases. We're going to take the extra base. If we have to move a guy over, we're going to move him over, and we're going to kind of grind out games. Whereas the Kansas City Chiefs are going to play for the three-run homer, you know, like you, you uh, kind of with, try and, yeah, that's big boy ball that way. Yeah, like I, I think the Chargers are like the old school Atlanta Braves. Like mm-hmm. they're uh, Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz, and they're going to throw strikes. They're going to minimize they keep uh, you in every game. Errors, keep you in every game. And like uh, there's an old saying where more games are lost than won. Yep. Meaning that more teams give it away by being aggressive and turning over the ball. And I think what you're going to see from the Chargers is, hey, we're going to make you beat us by not giving you easy opportunities, not turning the ball over, not being uh, super no risky. short fields. Yeah, yeah like we, we're going to play it the right way. And so I think with Justin Herbert, I think he is certainly capable of being able to play that style because that's the style that he played at Oregon. All right, a couple defenders here at 7 and 8, and this was a decision for the Carolina Panthers. We thought they might go Isaiah Simmons. They ended up going Derek Brown, the defensive tackle out of Auburn. Isaiah Simmons then turns around, goes to the Arizona Cardinals with the eighth pick. Uh, Derek, look, Derek Brown was the most disruptive player that, that I saw on tape. Uh, inside, he, he terrorized people. And the way the game is going, you have to have two pass rushers, one inside, one outside. I know people will talk about Derek Brown's lack of sack production, but his disruption showed up on tape. He is a very disruptive defender, plays hard. You don't see guys that are 300-plus pounds that run all over the field like he runs with a nonstop motor. I think he's going to be a good one. Um, and I understand why Matt Rule opted for that. When you're trying to integrate and build up your culture, you want people that embody 
what you talk about when you stand in front of the meeting. Matt Rule um, has talked on our show about, I want hardworking, tough, and competitive. Well, when you yeah. look at Derrick Brown, check, check, check. He does all those things. Yeah, and I look at him lining up next to Brian Burns, who had a good rookie year. Uh, and I, I always go back to, you know, one of the dominant defenses that I don't think people reference a lot. Uh, that, that San Francisco 49er team that lost in the Super Bowl, but that, that team for those four or five years with Harbaugh, those early years, when they had Justin Smith and Alden Smith line up next to each other, that was, I mean, they terrorized people. And I think when you can find that combination of a dominant defensive tackle, put him next to an edge rusher, that's going to give people problems. And I like that young nucleus they have there. Line those guys up next to each other and, and pick your poison on the offensive line. Yeah, if they're athletic enough to run those games, because you talk about that San Francisco 49er crew, Justin Smith and Alden Smith gave people problems because they run those simple TE stunts. Justin Smith would come up the field. Alden Smith would come up under. He did a great job of really creating opportunities for Alden Smith to rack up a ton of sacks. And if you go back, Alden Smith, those first three years, I mean, you talk about like a number big of numbers, sacks, like yeah. big, big sack numbers. And a lot of that had to do with his ability, but also Justin Smith's ability to set him up. Derrick Brown will set him up. In terms of setup, I think the Arizona Cardinals have to be careful with how they deploy Isaiah Simmons so they can set him up for success. He is a very talented player. He can play in the back end. He can play near the line of scrimmage. How does Van Joseph use him? Because you have so many skills so many tools in the toolbox you got to make sure you give him the opportunity to use the right tool in the right situation i think that is the biggest challenge because there's no doubt about his talent but the deployment how do they deploy him how would they utilize him well i think if you look at kind of the the guy you have to worry about when you play seattle is russell wilson so mm -hmm. in that in those two games you're going to use him to mirror him and uh and try and spy russell wilson and be able to chase him down in space when you play the 49ers you got to deal with george kittle that's who you got to stop so in those two games you got to i think you'll see him matched up a bunch and he'll get a chance to cover george kittle you know the rams in the past it would have been todd Gurley. he's not there anymore we'll see what this you know kind of new version of the rams offense looks like uh, but they run a lot of, of outside zone so just having that range and that sideline to sideline speed Will benefit him there so i do think it's a delicate balance in terms of not giving him too much but i do think inside that division you can customize you know the playlist so to speak for him well yeah and i think that's the way that you have to do i think this year unlike any other year i think simple is better i think the ability to simplify and really create opportunities for your young players has to be um has to be at the forefront it has to be the priority you got to make it where those guys can play fast and they can make an impact yeah that's that's going to be you know kind of the plan for him in this upcoming season. All right, let's get to the, the rest of the top 10 here, which two guys, C.J. Henderson to Jacksonville, the corner, and then uh, Jedrick Wills, the tackle, uh, the second tackle off the board to the Cleveland Browns. C.J. Henderson, to me, is interesting because uh, some would say that he was a late riser of the process. There was legitimate conversation about whether it's C.J. Henderson or Jeff Okuda in several meeting rooms. When I look at C.J. Henderson, the thing about him, um, very natural in his ability, uh, smooth and fluid athlete, his ability to transition and, and kind of play a variety of techniques, whether press or off, all those things I liked. I liked his physicality very early in the year when it came to playing bump coverage. The thing that everyone is going to talk about, is he going to up the ante when it comes to his physicality when it, uh, tackling on the perimeter? Yeah. The one yeah. thing that has to happen now in the National Football League, your corners have to be sure and willing tacklers. And so we have to see if C.J. Henderson is going to 
uh, embrace that part of uh, the job description? Can he come up and thump when they ask him to thump in a run game? Yeah, and I, I think when you look at that division, and that's a division where you got some teams that want to run the football. You look at the Indianapolis Colts with their offensive line. You look at the Tennessee Titans, obviously, with what they've done. Um, so you're going to challenge those corners to tackle. So he's got to do better in that department. But the physical skills are are outstanding. Um, I do think there's a little bit of assembly required. I don't think he's one of those guys we say come in clear packaging where you know exactly what you're getting. I do think there's some development to take place there. But the, but the foundation of what you have to work with is outstanding. Um, so he's got to coach him up and get it out of him. Then uh, the Cleveland Browns with Willis, uh, with Jedrick Wills. You know, it's going to be interesting with them when you have two new tackles, right, with him and Jack Conklin. So getting those guys comfortable, getting them in a new system with a new coaching staff and Wills trying to make that jump up to the next level. I believe in his ability, but I would caution that there could be some rough moments just because of all the change and the newness here without the offseason and the spot that he's in, in a division where you see some dudes now. Um, so that, to me, is, is going to be one where... I, I would just caution Browns fans, don't freak out if he gives up a couple sacks early in the season. I think you'll see him get better. Yeah, I think you will see him get better. And I think the big thing for uh, him and his improvement will be how much the Browns elect to use 12 personnel, two tight ends. One back, two tight end on the field, two wide receivers. Because if they use two tight ends on the field, they can really provide him with some kind of help with either chip, body help. They can kind of change uh, the approach and kind of help him out. Uh, without the offseason, you're right, going from right tackle to left tackle could be a transition. But, man, I just think he's so natural at what he does. Um, I think he will figure it out. I do believe early in the season it's very important that they protect him. So I think you will see a lot. One, you can see a lot of play action pass from Kevin Stefanski yeah. anyway. But, two, I think you need to see a lot of that play action passing game early to kind of nullify some of the pass rush from the opposition by making them slow down and respect the running game. All right, let's go every other one now. So I'll uh, I'll give you one, then I'll follow up, and we'll just we'll just ping pong, and we'll get we'll pick up the pace here as we're outside the top ten. I'll give you the floor first. Makai Becked into the Jets. Look, man, big body. Uh, Sam Donald needed a protector. I did think they also needed some nastiness and a tempo setter on that offensive line. I am surprised that he landed outside the top ten, but the New York Jets got a good one in my estimation when they got Makai Becton. Yeah, the Las Vegas Raiders at 12, they take Henry Ruggs, the first receiver off the board. We talked about that being a possibility. It was not just a race between CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, and sure enough, Ruggs leapfrog both of them. Uh, I, I look at this pick with the Raiders, and I go back to the big benefactor being his former college teammate in the run game there in Josh Jacobs. He's going to be able to run safeties out of there. You've got Waller, the tight end, who runs 4-4. You've got two guys inside and outside, one inside, one outside. They're going to be able to, to run coverage off. It's going to create more room for Josh Jacobs. So if you do the fantasy football thing, get Josh Jacobs early. Yeah, I think you have to get Josh Jacobs early. I just want to see if Derek Carr can mesh with that because he's more of a dink and dunk pass. He doesn't really yeah. push the ball down the field. We'll see if they can get maximum value from Henry Ruggs. At 13, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tristan Wirfs. I was a big Tristan Wirfs fan. Uh, I like his combination of size, strength, and athleticism. Uh, I like his technical savvy. Uh, the fact that he is really a high-level athlete. Like, this is a guy that was dominant in high school, not only as a wrestler, but as a shot and disc thrower, state championship level. Um, I think you see those traits when he plays. And I think for Tom Brady, for Tom Brady to play well, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have to protect him. I would like to see them upgrade their running game. They don't necessarily have the running back to do that. So Tristan Wurst is going to have to be on his game as a pass protector. 
I love the wrestling background with offensive linemen as well. All right, 14, the Niners. This is the pick. Remember, they trade DeForest Buckner to the Colts. They get this pick. They end up replacing DeForest Buckner with Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina. Um, what I'll say about Kinlaw, Buck, before he shut it down at the Senior Bowl, um, I mean, that was kind of the exclamation point on him as a prospect. They, they, they couldn't really block him down there in Mobile. <laughs> no, long, lean, lean, athletic, physical, uh, the strength and power kind of pops. And look, man, I think he's a guy that is highly motivated. And I think that that inspiration and motivation displays shows when he's on the field. Uh, 15, the Denver Broncos took Jerry Judy uh, to pair up with uh, eventually K.J. Hamler to give Drew Locke some weapons on the outside. And DJ, I don't know. I know you went dark on social media for a while, but Jerry Judy yeah. has been posting these videos where he is working out. Man, whatever you thought about him as a as a route runner, add a plus to it. His ability to uh, use hesitation, stop and start, suddenness and quickness is outstanding. I think he's going to be a terrific player. And if they move him to the slot, he's going to be a problem for people because with Cortland Sutton on the outside and maybe K.J. Hamler playing on the outside on the other side as a speed threat, Jerry Judy working the middle of the field could be a handful for nickel defenders and linebackers. Yeah, easy completions there for Drew Locke. He's going to give him a lot of easy completions. All right, the Atlanta Falcons, A.J. Terrell, um, thought there was a chance they could end up trading up for C.J. Henderson. They didn't. They stand pat. Um, but they end up getting a big, tall, long, athletic corner in A.J. Terrell a little bit earlier uh, than I had him uh, graded. But not, I had him as a first-round player. He was in that mix. So it wasn't a huge reach. And I think when you look inside that division, specifically when you look at what you have to deal with with Tampa, um, and then you also look at what you have to deal with with Mike Thomas in New Orleans. Having a big corner is uh, is not just a nice thing. It's a necessity. And I think that, that fits the bill there for the Falcons. Yeah, it does fit the bill. Like, you have to build your team to win your division. All of those big-time wide receivers demand extra attention. And you have to have guys that can not only play man-to-man, uh, but they got to be able to be physical enough to hold up against those big bodies that dominate within that division. At 17, the Dallas Cowboys take CeeDee Lamb. DJ and I, we always talk theoretically about, hey, take the best player available. And that's what the Dallas Cowboys did. Uh, they didn't stretch and, and reach for a position of need. They went and got the best player. And I think C.D. Lamb and Dallas gives them an opportunity to really take that offense and, 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 and take an offense that was already really, really good, take it to another level. Because now their 11 personnel package with C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, uh, Ezekiel Elliott in the backfield. I know Blake Jarwin is just kind of like an unknown commodity at tight end, but wow, that's a lot of weaponry. I think you can say they have the best and most explosive offense in that division, and that's going to give them a chance to maybe win the division because they can really play offensive football and they can put points on the board. I think they have a Super Bowl caliber team. I, I really do, and I love CeeDee Lamb. I love the fit there. I think he's going to be outstanding. I like the fact that he doesn't have any concerns about rocking the 88. You want to throw the 88 on in Dallas? you got some Come confidence. On. Yeah, and, uh, a lot of confidence. I, I do like that. All right, uh, next, we talked about this for a long time, Austin Jackson going to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, you know, The question was, would they take him with this pick or would they wait for their third first-rounder? They had to upgrade that offensive line. They take Tua. They needed some help there, and the tackles just went flying off the board, as we would expect. Austin Jackson had ups and downs uh, at USC last year. A.J. Epinesa got the best of him in the bowl game, but very athletic. He's young. He's 20 years old. Um, you know, did the whole thing with donating the bone marrow to his sister, so he missed the offseason coming into his last year at USC. You're betting on the future there. He was not picked 18th based off what he put on tape at USC. He was picked 18th based on what you hope he can become. 
Yeah, DJ, and I think it's important to know, you mentioned the bone marrow surgery. Uh, he said that that really impacted the way that he played into the season. And so he never fully felt right until about midway in the season when he said he was fully recovered because he had that surgery late in July. And so, look, I think we're going to see a better version of Austin Jackson than we saw at SC during his final season. There is no doubt, athletically, he has all the traits that you look for in a high-end uh, left tackle. All right, who we got next here, Buck? All right, so look, we can go to 19. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders took Damon Arnett, and that was a bit of a surprise. And it was a bit of a surprise because I don't think many people had him graded this high. Now, I liked Arnett. I saw him kind of as a fringe uh, first-rounder, more like a second-round player. But here's what I like about him. I think he's pretty solid in how he plays. Uh, from a technique standpoint, I think he has those things. I think he's tough. He'll tackle on the perimeter. He does a great job when he's kind of locked up in man-to-man. Does a really good job. Ideally, in my mind, he's an ideal number two corner. I don't yeah. know if he's number one, but look, sometimes in the draft, you take a guy that has to be the backside corner. I think he's a backside corner, and if it put in the right role, I think he succeed. But if you're expecting him to be Nambi Ashmoa, like the Raiders <laughs> have had those number one corners in the past, I don't think he's a Nambi type, but I do think he's a very, very solid player. Yeah, a, a little bit earlier than a lot of people had him, but they they, uh, they liked him. They like his toughness a lot, so he fits in kind of with what they're trying to build there with the Raiders. Uh, 20 Jags come back with their second pick. They go back to the SEC. They take Caleb on chase on who is a phenomenal athlete. I know, Bucky, you were a little bit slow to warm up to him just because of lack of production. Um, but I think what you look at with them, this was kind of an upside pick. You know, I, again, use the baseball analogy. I feel like they kind of drafted the high school players. When you look at C.J. Henderson and Caleb on chase on, the, all the ability in the world need a little bit of development. You're betting on the come, betting on the upside. Uh, maybe a little bit lower floor, but really high ceiling with the Jags two picks. Yeah, no, I th so I think he here's what I like about the pick. Um, I think it's important to not look at, at picks uh, in a vacuum, just pick and team. I like what they they put around him because now what you're doing is you're putting Caleb on chasing opposite of Josh Allen. And I don't know how many people realize that Josh Allen had 10 sacks for the Jacksonville Jaguars last year as a rookie, and he was just kind of figuring it out. Well, now they removed some of the players in that locker room, Marcel Darius, Calais Campbell. They still they are, have Ngakwe too, Buck. Yeah, Ngakwe. They are entrusting Josh Allen to be the leader of that unit up front. And then you talk about Yannick Ngakwe. So now you're talking about Caleb on chasing potentially being either a rotational player or a backside complimentary rusher. I like him in that role more so than, A, you're our guy. You're going to be the number one pass rusher. We're depending on you to be able to get double-digit sacks to really set the table for the rest of the defense. All right, how about the Eagles 21? You know, like, look, this is a tough one because this one has been debated in all companies. Jalen Rager. <clears throat> the Philadelphia Eagles had to make a decision between Jalen Rager and Justin Jefferson. And I just firmly believe that this came down to they wanted someone that could be a stretch to field guy. So they went with Jalen Rager. The trick will be, can Rager be consistent enough as a pass catcher to give them what they want in that position? The biggest thing that we've had, the biggest issue we had with the Eagles, one was the lack of speed, but two, the lack of consistency when it comes to catching the ball. Can he be a more consistent threat? Because the big play potential is there. He has to consistently catch the ball, though. Yeah, I mean, that was the decision, really outside guy versus an inside guy. And they felt comfortable where they were on the inside, so they went and got somebody on the outside that can really stretch the field. Um, you get to Minnesota, they, they end up taking Justin Jefferson right after that. Remember how fast they turned the card in when he was there? They did not mess around to get that one in. And I've gone on record, you know, the, the wide receiver from LSU, 
we have a mutual friend that, that, that was around him that's been around a lot of great uh, receivers, and he gave him high, high praise. Uh, I'm on record as saying I think his production, in, and I said this thinking we would have an offseason at the time, which we, we did not have, but I, I believe his production will eclipse Stephon Diggs, who left and, and went to the Buffalo Bills. I, I really think Justin Jefferson is kind of made to play with a guy like Kirk Cousins. When you look at the success that Kirk had um, in Washington and the comfort level he had there, um, I think you're going to see the same type of a thing. We saw him take a step forward last year with Minnesota, um, and I just look at the guys that he's traditionally had success with. To me, Justin Jefferson matches up. Yeah, man. Like Typically, Kirk Cousins has outstanding success with guys that are route runners. And um, the, the under-reported aspect of Kirk Cousins this year is he gets Gary Kubiak. So now he really gets to sit at the knee of the guy who is the master of this offense, the Shanahan system. Yes, Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan deserve credit, but Gary Kubiak took that offense to another level when he was at Houston. And when you look at wherever he's been, the quarterback has played well, and they've had a, a, they found a way to get wide receivers to play at a high level. Justin Jefferson being an outstanding route runner, I think it's very possible that you could see him and Adam Thielen both go over the 1,000-yard mark. I believe Justin Jefferson is that good, and I'm a big believer in this offense with Gary Kubiak calling the plays. All right, 23, the Chargers come back in. They make a trade to get back into the first round. Yeah, look, Kenneth Murray gives them something that they needed. You talk about being strong right down the middle. You have Derwin James there, who's the hybrid, but they still needed a second-level defender that can make plays. Well, that's Kenneth Murray. Kenneth Murray is the epitome of a sideline-to-sideline chaser he can come down and blitz he doesn't mind striking in the hole he also has enough athleticism to cover backs out the backfield i like him and i like what they're doing because they're building this defense to match up with the kansas city chiefs so if you can imagine he may have to match up with clyde edwards alar i like that opportunity i like that matchup and i think the chiefs uh the Chargers had to do that with defending the chiefs in mind yeah also an outstanding blitzer so when you get in in pass rush situations you're going to be able to have guys with bosa ingram uh chenna nuosu who's very versatile can walk around and move around and kenneth murray those are a lot of chess pieces for gus bradley to kind of move around and, and can get kind of exotic i know that hasn't really been his uh his way of doing things, but he's going to have some some creativity and some flexibility now with Kenneth Murray added to that mix. Uh, Cesar Ruiz, uh, steady Eddie center from uh, from University of Michigan. He goes to the Saints at 24. The Saints, and I think you'll see this continue after Drew Brees' career is over, but just philosophically believe in protecting the interior first. Um, they hit on Ryan Ramchick as a tackle, and they obviously have Taron Armstead, but they've always invested in the interior of that offensive line, be it the draft or, or in free agency, and that continues here with a, just a really steady Eddie, solid player in Cesar Ruiz. Yeah, steady Eddie player, and the reason you want to be solid on the inside, guys like Drew Brees, they hate having pressure right in their face. And most traditional pocket passers that don't have the movement skills, they don't like people that are right up there. So that's why you got to build a fortress right in front of them. And we can forget, forecast it if it's Taysom Hill or really if it's Jameis Winston, they're building the fortress up front to make sure that their traditional dropback passers can have success. Uh, Brandon Ayuk uh, was the next one. Brandon Ayuk is an interesting one because he really reminds me a lot of Debo Samuel uh, in terms of the way that he is able to kind of make plays on the move. Terrific, terrific with the ball in his hands. His ability to make things happen gives them a dynamic playmaker to really build around. And as we think about Kyle Shanahan in this offense, man, I just think he goes to the next level with another playmaker like Ayuk. Yep, uh, I love what he does after the catch. Um, that was his best trait. All right, things got interesting at 26. Again, 
some people were blindsided by this. I, I wasn't. We, we talked about this all the time, Buck, on our show. We talked about it on Path to the Draft with Jordan Love, the Green Bay Packers. Uh, they make a move to try and get the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers maybe a year or two early as opposed to a year or two late. Um, and again, I know there's been a lot of people that were upset about this. I think Aaron Rodgers has kind of come around to understanding it. Maybe it wasn't communicated as well as it should have been. Um, I don't have a problem with this pick. I have a problem with with not using some of these follow-up picks to, to put more weapons uh, around Aaron Rodgers. That was my only critique of the Packers draft. Yeah, and talking to people there, they were saying, like, look, man, they had wide receiver on the radar, but unfortunately, in every round when they were about to get their guy, their guy came off the board. Some would speculate that maybe Brandon Ayuk was going to be their guy in the mm -hmm. first round. He's off the board. Jordan Love is sitting there. They take him. This is a pick that is for the future. You know, we talk about the quarterback position being the most important position. Well, you need to invest in that, and you need to invest in it before you're due. And I think this gives them an opportunity to really develop Jordan Love to prepare him for a starting role down the line. All right, who we have next? Look, Jordan Brooks, and you talk about surprises, Jordan and Jordan. Jordan Brooks uh, going to the Seattle Seahawks out of Texas Tech. Not a lot of people talked about him leading up to the draft, but when you see him on tape, very productive, a guy that is a high motor guy, very instinctive, and we've talked about what Pete Carroll likes. He loves guys that are instinctive, that have a nose for the ball. Jordan Brooks has that. Yeah, big-time speed and range, too, which you have to have to play in that defense. It'll be interesting to compare the linebackers uh, from this draft and, and where, how they end up doing. We talked about Kenneth Murray, Jordan Brooks. The, then right after Jordan Brooks, you have Patrick Queen going to the Baltimore Ravens, who I like the best out of all three of these guys. He ends up being the third one picked. And the Ravens uh, just have a very, very talented guy who didn't have a long track record there at LSU. Uh, didn't start to, you know, it wasn't even the starter heading into his last season there at LSU. But, man, he came on like gangbusters, played great in their big games, and can run and hit. Um, I just think that Baltimore Ravens team had to address the second level of their defense. And uh, they did it with some big-time capital here in the draft with the first-round pick and Patrick Queen. And I think, uh, you know, they know how to scout that position. You know, Baltimore for a long time, and I was there, we had a little bit of a blind spot at the receiver position. Couldn't get that right. They've never had problems drafting linebackers. Uh, they usually hit on those, and they found a bunch of undrafted ones that are pretty good too. But this kid, he's going to be a star. I, I really believe that. Oh, he is going to be a star. And what I, I, I love about them is just how they kind of put it together. Um, they understand exactly what they want up, up front. You talked about, like, play like a raven and the traits that you have to have. Well, he embodies all of those traits, and I think he's going to have success. Uh, I think the next pick is interesting to Tennessee Titans. Titans taking Isaiah Wilson. Part of the reason why it's interesting because I Isaiah Wilson is someone that we had heard that people liked him in the first round, but it was hard to justify based on how we saw the tape. But the one thing that we know is he's a rogue grader. He's a guy that really lives in that mall and mash world. Well, the Tennessee Titans want to mash you up front. And so they get a guy that can move bodies off the line of scrimmage. And so if they're able to kind of run the football the way they want to run it, Isaiah Wilson won't have a problem. I think the big problem comes in pass protection. If they have an opportunity, if they're one of those teams that falls behind and he is forced to play on that island by himself, sometimes it might not look pretty. But if they can dictate the terms and run the football, he could have success there as a first-round pick. Yeah, I think of Orlando Brown, uh, not, not Orlando Brown Jr., who's with the Ravens, but his dad, uh, Zeus, uh, Isaiah Wilson. You know, to me, that's kind of the career you're hoping to have out of him, which is a dominating run blocker and just hold on for dear life and pass protection. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Miami, Noah Igbenogany, the corner from Auburn. That's their third first-round pick. Um, I think when you, you look at Tua where they got him, I love that. I, I Austin Jackson is a good player, 
maybe a little bit early for him. Noah Igbenogany is a f- really tough uh, physical player, instinctive. He just doesn't have good, great ball skills, Buck. He just doesn't doesn't make a lot of plays. Um, so to me, I thought that was a little rich for where they took him. But I, I, again, they, they value the toughness and uh, again, a great kid, like off the charts and tangibles, intelligent, tough, all that stuff. Yeah, look, son of, of track star parents, um, has a track background, straight line runner. Um, the thing about it is he doesn't have a lot of ball skills, but the thing about uh, the Miami Dolphins, they play so much man-to-man that ball skills aren't necessarily high on the list. Uh, they, they, this is a team that also paid big money for Byron Jones, and Byron Jones has two career interceptions in 77 games. I think what this is, is we've talked about fit and scheme. He fits how they want to play. They want to play man-to-man. They want to be nose-to-nose. Well, that's what he did in Auburn. He's not going to get a lot of uh, interceptions, but he should get a lot of breakups because he has enough speed. It is a little early, but the player, in terms of stylistically, he fits what they want to do. Now, we will see, as a nickel player, if it has enough value to kind of justify why he was selected in the first round. I like what Minnesota did with their next pick here at 31, Buck. Uh, man, Jeff Gladney's a good player, man. Really good football player on the island. They lose uh, a couple of corners, Xavier Rose, Trey Waynes. They get Jeff Gladney, who's a tough physical player, a guy who at TCU did a really good job of just putting his hands on people, knocking them around, putting himself in positions to make tackles. He makes plays on the ball. I think he's a tough-minded player, and I think that's really why Mike Zimmer wanted him. Yeah, he fits the bill there. I like what they're doing in Minnesota. I thought they had a great draft. Kansas City uh, rounds it out with a player that was made to play in their system. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, the running back at LSU, goes to the Chiefs. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, all that vertical speed, they're going to be able to stretch people out, and then you're going to have the ultimate check down guy in Edwards-Alaire to do damage out of the backfield. And also somebody that is going to run in light boxes anywhere he is on the field, and he's strong. He's low to the ground. He's tough to get on the ground. Um, Again, we, uh, we put our flag in the ground on running backs on this podcast. We are not anti-drafting running backs. However, we are anti-paying them on the second contract, but we're not anti-drafting them early. I think it's really apparent now. I think now you can look at the Kansas City Chiefs and see kind of the, their long-range plan, right? So they do the draft, and then they sign Pat Mahomes after the draft. And now that Pat Mahomes is signed on that big-time deal, we've talked about the importance of being able to draft and develop the role players. Well, the most important role player for Pat Mahomes will be Clyde Edwards-Alar. And part of this is because he is going to be the guy that is the ultimate counter. Uh, if you play light boxes, you play too deep coverage, you really try and put an umbrella around the passing game, cool, we'll either hand it off to Clyde Edwards-Alar or we'll give it to him in the screen game. And you cannot underestimate what has been said from Andy Reid and Brett Veach. They compared him to Brian Westbrook. And if you go back and look at Brian Westbrook's success in Philadelphia when he was a two-time Pro Bowl player, someone who really did it in a variety of different ways, running, touching the ball in the passing game, Edwards Hilaire has has that stuff. And we know with Eric Bieniemy being in his ear, he's going to be tough. He's going to play tough. And so I like the fit. I think this is one where, look, man, whether you liked him as a, as a true first-round pick or not, he fits exactly what the Kansas City Chiefs do and I can see why they valued him over some of the other guys at a position yep I think again it comes down to fit and it's a perfect fit well this was it Buck this is like the review sheet we just gave you a review worksheet uh for for the uh, final here uh but it was fun it was fun to kind of go back through that draft I needed it to be honest with you I don't know where where you were but I I literally names would come up and I'm like where the heck did he go again 
Yeah, I'm. I'm. I was already under the other class. I kind of flushed all the other stuff. I put the notebook away. Uh, the notebook is in my drawer right here. I. I don't even know. I can't even remember half of those names. I kind of oh, flushed I them out, and I got a new notebook. My notebook for the 2021 class that I'm already working on. So, uh, this was a great refresher, um, and we're, we're going to have to kind of do it again when when these guys go to camp and we begin to uh, talk about them and whether they have a preseason or not. We're going to have to refer to our notes and what the buzz is coming out of there to remember how good some of these prospects were. No doubt. Uh, well, this was a fun exercise. I uh, want to remind everybody, we have the Joe Burrow and the Tuatonga Vailoa 360 episodes. Those are going to air on NFL Network uh, 6 p.m. and 6.30. So back-to-back, uh, that's Eastern time on Thursday. Uh, July 9th. It's also going to re-air on Friday, 9 p.m. and 9.30, and Saturday at 1 a.m., 5 a.m., 9 a.m., all Eastern times there. So these were uh, things we did in the run-up to the draft where we got a lot of the interviews around people that, that know these guys really well, some great insight on from them about these two players. But then now we've updated the episodes uh, with some analysis about where they ended up and what their prospects are going forward in the season. So you can be on the lookout for that uh, on NFL Network. What are, you, uh, what are you working on this week, Buck? Another man, just how to build a team around uh, Patrick Mahomes. Now that the Kansas City Chiefs have signed their marquee piece, how can you build that dynasty around him and sustain it for the next 10 years? There you go. Be on the lookout for that. NFL.com slash Bucky Brooks. You can find all Bucky's notebooks. They're outstanding. I encourage you to check those out. Uh, But that's going to do it for us today. I want to thank Nabil for all of his hard work getting this thing uh, on on the air. Is that what we say with podcasts? I don't know. We get it to you. It's uh, you can find it. That's that's Nabil's job. He does it well. Uh, but that's going to do it for us today. We'll see you next time right here on Move the Sticks. Take care. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish spring body wash and bar soap, fresh, green, Irish, Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.